Hey, hi. Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner. I'm a programmer at TIFF now, and this is the other thing I do. My guest this week is Adil Akhtar, an actor you'll have seen in everything from the first season of Stranger Things, Four Lions and the Dictator, to The Big Sick, Enola Holmes, Killing Eve, and Sweet Tooth. He co-stars with Claire Rushbrook in Clio Bernard's midlife romance Ali and Ava, which screened last year at TIFF, and opens across Canada this Friday, July 29th. In Toronto, it's playing at the TIFF Bell Lightbox. It's a harshly beautiful, strikingly tender film, like all of Clio's work, and Adil is wonderful in it. You should go see it. Adil picked Baji on the Beach, Gurinder Chadha's 1993 film about a busload of Blackpool women, most of them of South Asian extraction, confronting generational and cultural differences on a day trip to the seaside, as well as the ingrained prejudices within and without their own community. Produced for English television but released theatrically overseas, this was one of the first British films to center South Asian characters, played by an expansive cast including Zora Segal, Shaheen Khan, Sarita Kajuria, Suada Del Forest, and more, and let them tell their own story. As you'll see, that choice meant the world to some of the people in the audience. This is someone else's movie. I first saw it on TV in the UK. And um, it was at a time when there wasn't a lot of uh, British Asian films that were being made. Um, And the ones that were being made, you could say, were pretty sort of run of the mill and obvious in their sort of the sort of themes that they had. Um, but there was a couple I remember seeing, it was Baji on the Beach, which is Gurinder Chadha's early stuff. Mm. And then there was also Hanif Qureshi's sort of his early stuff. Um, My Beautiful Laundre, uh, Buddha Suburbia was, but I remember it being in that category of film where the characterization of these these women, which is essentially they were just going on a, 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 a trip to the beach and it was a generational thing. So you had the sort of older ayah, so the, the, the grandma, and then you had the young sort of, uh, the young sort of British Asian. So you went through like first, second generation mm. of, of British Asians and all women. And um, the conversations they were having were were sort of that sort of intersection between um, cultural sort of pressures that were brought from the older women in the group, uh, stuff that, you know, looking down on on the younger women in the group, saying that they weren't Indian enough, and then the younger women looking at the older women in the group saying, well, you know, we're doing the best we can here, the fact that you know, we're trying to, yeah, just do that. Um, but anyway, I just remember seeing that and that sort of resonating quite a bit for maybe my experience at the time, which was just working out the kind of this, in this sort of post-colonial world that we were living in in the UK, just working out, well, where do you get your... Um, what is the what is the authority here? You know, what is the what's the guiding force that's going to help you work out these problems, these problems of of culture and and society and tradition and religion and all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, and and it 
and just to see some brown faces on TV at that time was super exciting, you know? So yeah. That's yeah. The, the representation, um, is always the core of everything on this podcast. Basically everyone who sees a movie that makes them feel seen loves that movie forever. Yes. Um, especially if you catch it at an impressionable age. And I was, I was looking back over the history of it because remarkably it's 30 years next year that this film was made. Uh, um, yeah, and yeah, they're yeah. on channel four. I remember seeing it in Toronto theatrically. It was released. Oh, you as, did? Oh, cool. oh, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. the fact that it opens with a Punjabi version of summer holiday yeah, uh, is, is yeah, charming. Yeah. I didn't realize that Chada had written those lyrics, that it was a new recording. I didn't know. Uh, oh, right. I didn't know that. Right. Yeah, I just, I thought yeah. she just found a cover, but she actually yeah, yeah. had to that's commission excellent. it. That's so wonderful. Yeah. Oh, yeah. good to know. And that's, so, that's sort of like Summer Holiday was always coming on every year on B, on, on TV in the UK anyway. So we mm. had that sort of, so that, yeah. And so to have that and have that juxtaposed with like, something that's familiar sounding but something that's new as well mm-hmm. i think this you know that's what that's what she's very good at doing i mean she's not sort of like inhabiting that sort of um i think she's refusing to inhabit that kind of british art house kind of space she's she's sort of going she wants stuff to be sort of entertaining as well as insightful and as well as moving, you know, we had that sort of like wave of British films that which were like that full, you know, uh, like the four weddings and the funeral and the full Monty. And it was like, it was sort of showing a bit of an insight into British culture, but ultimately it was, it was entertaining as well. And that's where Gorinda I think is like, that's where she sort of positions herself, which is really refreshing because why not? You know, there doesn't just because you're you've got um characters that have that have Asian British Asians in it doesn't necessarily mean it has to be sort of it has to sort of have high it has to be high art or something. It has to be sort of in this sort of art house world. It can just be, you know, it can be as whimsical as like summer holiday in Punjabi, you know, it can be it can be, yeah. So, hmm. yeah, yeah. That's well, nice yeah. to know. That's nice to know that though, she wrote those lyrics. Yeah, yeah. And the um, the the tone of the film is, I think, crucial. Really, the fact that mm. it that there are people. I mean, there are scenes of people threatening each other. All the usually all the men, like all the male characters, are are just running around testosterone crazy and yelling it. <laughs> um, and there there is a version of this movie where it's really grim and serious and it's all about the misery that these women are escaping from. And mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. she's just not interested in that. And she'd actually, I, I looked up an old interview with her and she said that Ken Loach was one of her favorite filmmakers and somebody she was trying to emulate in the realism of the culture, but not the tone. Oh, interesting. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, I think there's an overlap there with, um, with the Clio, maybe in in her latest mm-hmm. sort of thing that she's with with the Ali and Ava, and if you look at sort of the Ken, the social realism tradition, that there is um, it does feel, it can be quite dour at times and a bit heavy handed, and it, not not heavy handed. That's the wrong thing because it's just reflecting the realities of British life, you know. Um, but I think Gorinda's very good at Imbaji on the beach, and I think Clio sort of because it's arguable, some people sort of say that she's sort of taken up that kind of Ken Loach mantle in a way of like, well, if you look at her past films and that, but but again, it's like, 
I think I appreciate the sort of lightness of touch you can have when you're dealing with quite heavy issues. And um, it, yeah, and just acting in Clio's films, it's sort of, I'm just trying to draw a bit of a parallel here. Sure, being, yeah. being an actor in, in her films, and when you do that, when you have this lightness of touch with quite heavy-handed issues, it sort of um, allows for a sense of freedom in the playing of it because you're not playing an idea. Yeah. yeah that's... The idea would be to make it all a bit of a drudge, you know. The idea would be to really feel the sort of angst and pain of like the cultural uh, tension. But actually if you're trying to make, not make light of it, but in a glib way or make, you know, belittle it in any way, but do what people normally do in the face of adversity and which is, you know, maybe crack a well-timed joke at the right time or try and have a laugh, you know, as best you can. Or And once you do that, act anyway, to, to, to act that stuff, means that you've got a sense of freedom in it because you're kind of there's no there's no authority over that it's you know it's yeah. there is an authority in like making stuff like real and, and you know sort of you know but then it's i don't know yeah i i do appreciate the lightness of touch when it comes to heavy heavy yeah issues. i think well and, and certainly with films like ali and eva and, and even the selfish giant which is as grim as it gets, I think, as a sure. cinema. Yeah. Um, I yeah. I love the way she refuses to monotone them. Like they yeah. they, w- they yeah. will not just be suffering. They're they're yes. acutely aware. I mean, especially the Arbor too, and the way that she structures that film. Um, yeah. These are movies that acknowledge that even even miserable people are happy, right? Sometimes oh. because yeah. yeah. The instinct is to, as exactly as you say, you just reach for the light. You you reach for right. the lightness, and yeah. yeah, the Ken Loach oeuvre has, I think, recently sort of become much more. Um, how can I put this without? I don't mean to insult him, but he certainly his last decade of work, at least, mm. suggests to me that he's worried people will miss the message, and <laughs> so yeah. you know he's steering right. everything. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah, because yeah. yeah. he's a lovely man. I, it's, and, and... Yeah, it's it's necessary. That I mean, I'm not. I I would never want any. I like. I feel we need. We. St- I mean, we still need it. You know, sure. because there's because the disparities and the, you know what for all, all the obvious reasons why Ken Loach makes his films. You know, because there's work to be done. You know, I suppose. So we st- we need it. Um, but that but by definition that also means that we need like how you really you put it really well like you know we need the films that are also trying to search for that light as well trying to search for the hope and the light through that you know mm-hmm. um and you know we 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 do need both we need to we need to see films that reflect society as it is because sometimes the grim realities are the only thing that can sort of mobilize people into action. Um, And, you know, we also need the other, some people sort of are mobilized into action because they are, you know, riding a wave of hope and, and, you know, light. And uh, so, yeah, I think, I think, I think we definitely, we definitely need both. I think I'm more in the sort of camp of, going for one rather than the other now. I think when I was younger, I think I, there was a tendency to sort of 
and had like a actor studio sort of background, so a bit of a methody background. So there was a tendency to sort of feel the all of it all at once, you mm. know, and just to show that, you know, I don't know. And now, I don't know, being older and with kids and everything, I think it's important to end on quite hopeful. So for, for me anyway, the idea is to sort of search for that that hope a little bit in amongst all the all the stuff to feel hopeless about maybe. Yeah. And the central, we, I promise we'll get back to Baji on the beach, but the central yeah, conflict yeah, of, yeah. of Ali and Ava is between someone who's offering something and someone who isn't sure she can take it. Huh, and yeah, and yeah. watching Ali, watching your performance is just, there's this, and it's, again, I, I can't say I know Clio Bernard at all. Really. We've met a few times and she's done the yeah. podcast and, and I, I, you know, I'm, I'm with her the whole way as an artist. I think she's remarkable, yeah. Yeah. but I recognize this thing that she has where your performance is structured within the film as someone who really, really wants this thing to happen and is also terrified of it because he's, he's just sort of resisting overdoing it. He doesn't want to frighten this woman off like this. There's this fascination and uh, hesitation that's mixed in your performance. And, and there are cuts where it's just sort of, right there in his eyes and then it goes away again because he's he's performing for for Ava and Mm-mm-mm-mm. you never see this like you just don't see and and the the backgrounds of the characters are essential to all of that and his hesitations and her her resistance and and the way that they communicate and connect is so specific in its mm. cultural specificity yes but it's all about need like the need to connect and of course seeing this in the middle of a pandemic was really really powerful Yes. Yeah. It does sort of speak to that, I think. And, you know, when I was a bit younger, I used to sort of pay lip service to the idea of, you know, this, like, the sort of power of connection with other people, you know, the idea that, that, that it can, you know, it can transcend a lot of um, divisive sort of, you know, divisions. Um, and, and I, but but the more and more you know, I'm you know doing hopefully the the work that I'm doing. The more and more I believe it is a, as a sort of motivating factor of like making the films that I want to make or making the work that I want to make. Because I, I you know I really believe in it now more than ever. Like this idea that people once they have a connection with someone, um, it's really hard to reverse that you know it's really hard to sort of go ah oh, and it and it's and it's beyond you really and i think that's where the film for me ends it's like there's something that is really difficult to articulate that's going on with these two characters but in the good way that pure cinema does it makes it a felt experience for both the audience and the two characters you know it makes it a thing of going Oh, they're changed now. You know, something's happened. They connected and they're changed. And um, I just find that uh, I just find that such a potent way of making films and such a potent thing of like um, I, I love it when I see it in films as well. You know, just and Clio's to sort of master that because again, like coming back to that thing, she does it with the lightest of touches. She's not kind of. Um, trying to guide the story. She's not sort of puppeteering 
us as audience or the characters in a way to sort of push the buttons in the right way. She's just actually stepping foot into the mystery of what that is and discovering with us, you know. I always joke with her because there's a, there's sometimes when we're sort of on set and I'm like, what do I do here? And like sometimes she'll go, well, I don't know, you know, like you know, the tra- traditional sort of directing thing is like, well, give me a bit of direction, you know, but she's, but she's honestly a true artist in that sense, in the sense that she's not going to mess about with a platter, you know, or with an easy direction. She's just going, well, I- I'm not sure. What I get from that is like, I'm not sure and you're not sure, but you're not alone in the discovery of what that is, you know, and yeah. I'm um, just so in awe of her and just so happy. Like I was part of the film, you know, I was just, yeah. it's Norm interrupting my own show to tell you about the new Shiny Things newsletter, my weekly dispatch about physical media, culture, and the odd streaming thing. This week, I wrote about Jordan Peele's Nope, the 4K edition of Everything Everywhere All at Once, and the Criterion release of Carl Franklin's Devil in a Blue Dress. There's also a contest. Subscribe for the price of a latte at shiny-things.ghost.io or find a link at the Semcast Twitter account. It's me, writing about movies again. Come check it out. I mean, it sort of creates a method atmosphere anyway, doesn't it? If she's trusting you to find that moment. Right. It creates a method atmosphere, but it also allows for us to not define a process. You know what I mean? Like there's this sort of tendency, but I think we're sort of just in a, in a, in a space now when it comes to making films and actors and stuff like that, that you kind of, you magpie a lot of things. Like there might be a, there might, yeah, sort of, there is, life imitating art and like you know there's some moments in the film that feel more real than reality itself and then there's other points which just kind of just really are so beautifully like a bit of visual poetry that are beyond you know the confines of social realism they kind of just almost enter this kind of dreamscape um but but I but, but that's the world that we're living in now. You can have it. You can have it all in the one film. It doesn't have to be. You don't have to be confined to calling yourself any particular type of actor just to get. You know, you can. Or and even with the films, you don't have to be confined to this idea that it just has to work within the realms of social realism, or whatever. It can. She. She. We, we talked a lot about autofiction, um, in literature. Mm-hmm. She talks about this as being biofiction, which is, um, and she says it sounds a lot like a, a washing up detergent. <laughs> it's, it's really funny, it's funny, but it, it, it is that you know, in literature and stuff, you can have like a, a novel, but you can also have sort of auto fiction, you can have the hands, you can have the, 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 the author's hand in the literature, it's, and in the same way, I feel this film is for me, like you can sort of. There's people in this film that are are people from that area who are enacting actual things that ha- have happened to them or did happen to them in the. But that's also melded in with Clara's amazing ability to fictionalize stuff as well and make it sort of appealing for an audience. And yeah, yeah. I and mean, there's a lot going on in it that I I just feel like. 
you know, if we were in a sort of like a university setting or a lecture, there's a lot to sort of unpick and look at. And yeah, just, I, I, I love being a part of it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I always just, every time she makes a movie, it's a chance to disappear into it, to, to you know, to see what's going on in Bradford through her eyes and, and how things yeah. are, are working. And, and I think each time they get a little bigger too. There's a little more community. There's a little more structure. The Selfish Giant is really only about a handful of characters and Ali and Ava is about an entire, um, well, it's two characters, but there's an entire community around them. And actually this deftly brings me back, not deftly at all, but it brings <laughs> me back to Baji on the Beach because you're seeing the reflection of a community. It's, I mean, these are actors and they're playing roles, but the relationships and the dynamics are as you said, instantly recognizable as authentic to anyone who's lived them. Um, and I didn't realize Mira Sayal also wrote the Kumars at number 42, which makes yeah, right. perfect sense to me because... Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you remember Goodness Gracious Me, that was on TV. Oh, I don't think that made it to Canada, but I'm a, I've heard of it. Yeah, yeah. So basically, there was a lot of firsts amongst that lot. And, the, and we had... Um, uh, uh, comedy uh, British sitcoms that were always sort of recognizable uh and the real McCoy was one of them which was an all-black sitcom um and goodness gracious me was an all-Asian sitcom so it's Mira Sayal um her husband I forget all their names but she was a part of four people who were basically making comedy on TV for the first time and again Baji on the Beach feels like another one of these sort of firsts you know these sort of things where you know it, it never been done before and it makes complete sense that that she's always been she's always been that way Mirasal. I remember she did uh she wrote a book called Anita and Me that I, that I which was about her and that was that got put on tv and I had the pleasure of working with her as well oh. and I think yeah on a comedy called Back to Life and we found ourselves in a room just waiting to sort of um do some scenes together and it was just it was su such a pleasure just to sort of travel in her mind a little bit of like well, where did it all start and how did you feel when you were doing this and there was nobody else doing it like you at the time and da, 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 da. and now her daughter was actually uh quite high up in a theatre in in the UK called the Royal Court and she's sort of yeah she sort of um puts plays she um, produces plays there sort of thing so it's yeah, I mean, she's she's great. She's, yeah, she's great, great writer, great person, and obviously keenly observant. I mean, I'm getting this, I'm getting that feeling from from Baji. Yeah, from keen, yes, definitely. Yeah, 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 and also not an unwilling to um, take the edges away of things, like um, and also doing that thing which is really hard to do, sort of presenting the drama with the comedy at the same time, you know, not, not sort of leaning too much one way or the other, just presenting both as being a reality of how people live their lives, you know? Yeah. I yeah. mean, I, I was really struck in, in Baji by the fact that almost nothing is resolved. A couple of key relationships are, <laughs> But yes. these generational problems, they're not going to be solved on a bus trip. No, that, no, no. It's, yeah. it's the, the illusion, right, of every every older generation just thinks if they can sit the younger generation down for an hour sure. and tell them. Yeah. And that's, like, we're seeing that playing out now in every political stream, every 
conversation that's happening about how you kids today don't know. Like it's, it never goes away. And I'm, I'm terrified that now in my fifties, I'm going to become that person. Yeah. It's just, it's so great to see the conversations that, as you say, were happening in everyone's homes on a screen somewhere. Um, uh, My grandparents were always horrified whenever somebody made a movie where uh, Jewish people either were not the victims, like the, the, the huh. Holocaust film where, where yes. the, the yes. Jews were clearly being, um, I don't even know how, being oppressed, I suppose, because so, that's part of the narrative that goes all the way back to Exodus. Yes, yes. Or unambiguous heroes like doctors or lawyers fighting for another character. Any right. kind of blurring of that? Any any yeah. sense that these people might also be fallible human beings? They were yeah. horrified. My parents are okay with it. And I'm just like, please show them as messy as possible. Uh, we need yeah. that. Although Seinfeld is sort of the breaking point for me because that's just a form of Judaism that makes my skin crawl. Uh, <laughs> just like yeah. the overplaying of neurosis. Woody, I think Woody Allen, even though now it's highly problematic to even discuss his films, is, yes. did a lot to do that and sort of entrench that vision yes. of, of Jewish people as like the, the charming intellectuals who will also not be threatening. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Um, which is part of it, right? Like when you, yes. when you're an assimilated artist, you're trying to say, Hey, we're just like you mm-hmm. and also safe. Mm-hmm. Um, but by excluding most white characters and, and providing yeah. an exclusive lens on the South Asian principles yeah. and Baji, yeah. Yeah. we're denied that, right? Because they can yell at each other. They can be angry with each other. They can show these dimensions. Oh. Yeah. But also the conversation I think starts there. I think the, con- I mean, uh, we, we're sort of entering a space now where I think if you see somebody on screen who is um, uh, has a sort of a, a sort of defined cultural heritage, you know, mm-hmm. if they're sort of uh, if they're sort of a, a, an an Asian person portrayed on TV or film, or, or a Jewish person portrayed on TV or film, the, the, the sort of well, anyway, definitely with British Asians, there's, there's, there's sometimes a criticism that comes in where you can have a brown guy who's playing a particular role and his name is, you know, you know, or, or not particularly South, not particularly Indian or Pakistani or a name that would come from the Indian subcontinent, right? Sure, so it's sure. sort of like a, a, a Roy or a Trevor or whatever, you know, sort of more white name so so there's criticism there is like also we're sort of um, in a spot now where we can have colorblind casting but it's almost like a big part of where that character is from is denied in pursuit of having been you know not looking at race or whatever but sure. i sort of feel but i sort of feel now and this i don't know if this is like pushing the argument a bit too, pushing the conversation a bit too far. But in the same way that I feel hopeful about Clio's films, I feel hopeful about the idea that we are, we can have it all really. I mean, I, that sounds strange, but we're, we're, we're now in a sort of filmic terrain or TV terrain or, what you know, even in plays and literature, I suppose, as well. The idea that... And even the genres of literature, like I was saying, there's auto fiction and there's memoir, and there's and sometimes you just mash all that stuff together. There's there's a way in which you can have it all now, and you don't have to leave anyone on the sidelines who's ready, who's quick to criticise about a particular portrayal of a character in a particular way. Um, 
you just have to be really good at making the stuff. You know, you just got to be really good at doing it in a way that's really, um, that you just don't leave. Yeah, you just yeah. don't leave anybody on the sidelines. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's all that to say. I think we are now in a spot where we can, feels like we have the ability, our ambition is allowing us to do more than we thought we could, you know. And um, I'm really excited about that, only because it means that, because, I mean, maybe an example of that is that I'm just working. <laughs> like yeah. Maybe an example of that is I'm doing really interesting and varied works. So that something must be going right in regards to the thing that I'm just talking about, not very well, but. <laughs> it's absolutely what you're experiencing, right? You're talking about it just fine. I've really enjoyed your work all along. I was delighted to see the guy from Four Lions show up as Lestrade. Sure. Right. right. And no loans. Yeah. Within yeah. 10 years that that's your early roles were very much stereotypical, but you were working within them to do something different. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if if um, Morris hadn't made Four Lions, which is now this incredible launching pad for everyone in it, is somebody mm. who I'm just delighted to see every time they show up and do things. Yeah. Um, Novak is here in Toronto shooting what we do in the shadows all the time. And, and shadows, yeah, yeah. And Riz I, is like next level at the moment. Massive, like yeah. Producing and directing. And yeah, it's been, yeah. it was a real thing. I think maybe because he instilled the idea that it, you can do it. It's just, can you do it? You know, you if you're going to, and I think that's what, I, that's a little bit of what, what I'm trying to say at the moment. What I'm trying, I suppose, is, if your ambition is to bring everyone along to the party, you know, yeah. um, then then and not leave anyone on the sidelines, really, then we're, we're more in a position where we can do it now than we ever have been. Because, yeah, I think we're just sort of more aware and open to more people and things. And, and um, yeah, I'm, I'm working with a young guy at the moment. He's young fella from Nottingham and he's like 26 or 27 and I'm just bowled over by the level of sensitivity he has with making films you know it's like I mean I, I don't know why it's, it should maybe it shouldn't I mean 27 is still quite old it's not you know he's not a kid but I'm still I'm still thinking to myself wow you've been exposed to so much already and like I defer to his a bit a bit you know and the, and um yeah there's I'm just so excited about what he's what he's going to do and what he's going to create and I think there's that's how I sort of feel about films in general we're just in a spot now where we can really we can make it all work if we want you know I think we really can yeah yeah. And again, it comes down to can not just you? casting, but trusting, right? Like mm. knowing that people can deliver and seeing, and as a result, you're seeing an actor as someone who is capable of range rather than capable of playing one part. I mean, it, it's the knock-on effect, right? And it's because we've seen, ideally, it'll be because the filmmaker has seen those actors in other things where they've gone bigger or wider or, or surprised them. Yes. But there is this this legacy of celebrating actors and uh, especially people of color who turn out to have only been cast in one thing for their entire career, right? Like Sidney Poitier had to push for years to do something that wasn't an angry, noble black hero. 
Right, right, right. And right. you look back and you see all the ground he broke and all the work he did, but the studios would only let him do that one role. He was he was doing it all outside the lines. He was doing everything else yes. in addition to his career to make himself have range to display the things he could do. Yeah. Um, and then there's Denzel Washington who immediately like he starts as this romantic uh, lead sort of on, or uh, it was part of an ensemble, but on the show St. Elsewhere in, in NBC, they cast him as a, a guy who could be sexy. Uh, like this is 1983, I think. And but like Mississippi Masala sort of time. That's 10 years later. Yeah. Oh, is it? Right. Yeah. yeah but that's what I mean. I, and I just re-encountered that because we screened a, a 4K restoration of Mississippi Masala last month and Mira Nair came in to introduce it and we chatted a bit. Oh, and cool. oh, she wow. just offhandedly said like he... There was no other person to cast. He was the handsomest, sexiest, funniest. You you want him in your movie. Yes. And like it's incidental to her that this is a film about multiple ethnicities juggling for time and space and in in a film. Like it's just the way the movie was made. And this is right around the same time as Baji on the Beach. Mm, true. Yes. But they're sort of echoing each other. Uh, yes. but Mississippi Masala is very much about the the black slash South Asian. Yes. relationship being challenged where it's an element of Baji. Element, yes, you're right. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And yeah. part of the larger chorus. I I there's I mean I'm just wondering if it's because of the cultural differences. But mm. it's really remarkable to see it. It was like it was in the air. It was all happening right then. Yeah, you're right. You're right. It was in the air and it was sort of happening at a time where I think there was an appetite for definitely in the UK where people it was like a big sort of 80s experimental film tradition. You know, you had um, Derek Jarman sort of, and then sort of movement of in that sort of vein. So, and the ability to see that stuff on TV, you could have probably seen some Derek Jarman stuff on TV or, or some more experimental stuff. So people's, um, I don't know, it was almost like people were, all right, are being slightly challenged by what they were watching a little bit, you know, and that allowed for um, that allowed for I think Gurinder to for Bargy on the Beach and definitely for like My Beautiful Laundrette and Buddha of Suburbia was another one that was like an episodic TV that to allow that to sort of be seen in a way, you know, there was like, and it wasn't I, I, maybe more so like Buddha Suburbia and, and, and My Beautiful Laundrette because those films maybe were the, the the narrative thrust of them was these unique characters that have so happened just so happened to be Asian, right? Mm -hmm. They were they were sort of like they were quite unique characters that you would see, but they weren't sort of pushing an idea of like um a stereotype at all. Or weren't even they were nowhere near that, you know, with what Hanif Qureshi was writing. It was all very kind of literary. It was the first time you're seeing these really sort of fully, fully rounded characters. But um, but yeah, all that to say, I think that's that was the start, you know, that's the start of the conversation of like saying this complexity within the thing that you feel as though you understand very well. And and now we're in a spot where that sort of complete that 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 app that ability to sort of understand nuance and complication within characters you know allows for us to 
broaden our understanding of it. So, you know, coming back to my the, the original point, there's there's less excuse to leave anybody behind anymore. You know what I mean? There's less there's less excuse for a Twitter comment about somebody having a gripe about something that's you know that feels misrepresents a particular lived experience. You know, mm-hmm. you're not going to make everybody happy. But we're in a position now where we can make most people happy most of the time, I think. And that's, and I think that's where Clio was coming from as well, you know, in that sort of social realism sort of tradition. It it was like the idea of the pursuit of uh, emotional truth was almost this quite crystallized, focused thing, you know, one thing, one pursuit, it was very singular in its pursuit. And I think what Clio's taught me is that you can have that singularity in your pursuit, but in that you can also universalize an experience that suddenly, you know, you're looking at these two middle-aged people falling in love with each other, but really you're looking at the power of love, you know, and that is that suddenly becomes way broader than you know, somebody, you know, a white woman who lives in a predominantly white area in Bradford or an Asian man who lives in a predominantly Asian area in Bradford. It becomes about something bigger, you know. And, yeah, and and I feel like if you look at the Twitter, if you look at Twitter, you look at criticism, you find, you don't, you don't really find much criticism about it, about depicting each one of those characters cultures in a truthful way because they kind of um because in pursuit of just um what what client did would just make that not important for a little while yeah just just a just a small amount of time so you can not get angry about something you know what i mean <laughs> just for maybe an hour and a bit or whatever you know Oh, that's and, all I ever ask from cinema. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just to put your critic pen down for a little bit, just for for, for a bit. But yeah, I, I just I don't know why I just keep on going back to that idea that we can we can take everyone along with us. You know, there doesn't have to be anybody left behind really anymore. But maybe will you try anyway? Yeah. Yeah. And now someone will see this and see you as a romantic lead and think, oh yeah, I can do that. I can make that happen or I can play that part or, or there's potential, there's a possibility. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. But more so me, you know, weirdly. The sort of uh, the sort of weird irony is, is that, um, and it doesn't have to be traditional, it's a traditional sort of romantic lead or whatever that means, I don't understand. It can be this kind of, like how people are, you know, like if you're just reflecting people muddying their way through life, trying to cobble together some kind of connection with people, you know? Yeah, there's lots of versions of what that, that idea is, a romantic lead. And, you know, I feel comfortable it being a sort of bearded Asian guy from Bradford as opposed to like, you know, somebody riding a, a horse with a ruffle or something. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I yeah, do. Yeah, 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 yeah. Ruffles are weird anyway. I mean, I think yeah, they're strange. Yeah, yeah, behind. yeah, 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 that's true. Yeah, yeah, they are strange. Yeah. My thanks to Adil Akhtar, whose new film, Ali and Ava, opens across Canada this Friday. In Toronto, you'll find it at the Tiff Bell Lightbox. Thanks also to Angie Power. She knows what she did.
You can find Adil on Twitter at AdilAktar1234, A-D-E-E-L-A-K-H-T-A-R-1234. And though Baji on the Beach is currently out of print on DVD, those discs are still floating around on Amazon and eBay and pretty much wherever. It's also available to rent or buy on Amazon in the U.S., on Apple TV in Ireland, and on Amazon, the BFI Player, and BritBox in the U.K. VPNs are amazing, by the way. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner, and you can find this podcast there at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at someoneelsesmovie.com. The first year of the podcast is still available for just 20 bucks at payhip.com slash Semcast. That's the first 52 episodes of Someone Else's Movie, 46 of which aren't currently available anywhere else. And check out my newsletter, Shiny Things, at shiny-things.ghost.io. I think you'll enjoy it. Our theme song is by the last year. If you like it, or the show in general, please say so. Leave a review wherever you've been listening. Every little bit helps, it truly does. And check out the other shows on the Frequency Podcast Network while you're doing that. Stay safe, watch movies, wear a mask if you go out, get your booster when you can. I'll see you next time.